You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Well, good morning. Hello, everyone up at the mills. It's good to be with you again today. I hope you're having a great day up there as we are here in Oakmont. And we are continuing our series today on the, uh, the, the word enough. That's the focus word for Lent. All right, for this season, heading up into Easter, the word that I want to imprint in your mind and, and the concept that we're talking about is that sense of enough. Because Lent's that time when we reflect on how momentary our existence is, and we, we think about that in light of the good news, and we know that, that in, the, in the whatever, 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 years that you may walk this earth, it's so small comparatively and the things that we think so important in the time that we have here in light of the gospel and the good news take on a whole new meaning. And so we are really talking about battling this, we've talked about in the past, this monster of more that's constantly you know, stalking us from the outside. All the advertising, all the things out there that are saying, you've got to have this, you can't, you're not happy until you buy this, you're, you're never going to be all that you can be until you get to this next level, yada, yada. But it's also this... This thing that rises up from within us, it's, you know, it's that lie that convinces you you're just not happy right now. And if you just had a little bit more, then you would be happy. And when we buy into that idea, that concept, it creates this discontent inside of our hearts and then this voracious appetite for more that is never satisfied. And when we, when we fall into that world system mindset, it's, it's a trap. It leads us into all sorts of misery if we fully buy into that. So the Bible says a lot about this. Let's look First Timothy chapter 6 is the first text I want to look at today. And this sort of is the underpinning for today's message. First Timothy 6, 6. The Apostle Paul writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, and he says, True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we, can take no- we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough, notice that word, food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, craving money, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many, many sorrows. And everybody said, Amen. Yes. Some people said, Amen. It's the, you know, this, this not having enough is, is a scarcity mindset. You know, we can have one of two. We can have an abundance mindset, meaning I have enough, or we can have a scarcity mindset, meaning I don't have enough. A scarcity mindset sort of creates this need for more inside of us. And it's this craving that, that we, we got to have more or we hoard whatever we have. And, you know, it's so easy these days to complain about our dysfunctional government because they spend so much more than they get and they, you know, the debt is so huge. And don't let your mind go there too much because I know you're frustrated about it already. But, but I want to say that why is the government that way? It's that way because we Americans are that way. 
And how many people complain about the government's financial issues, but they themselves have the same problem? They know how to fix it. They know what they need to do, but they just don't want to take the strong medicine necessary to get their financial house in order. So we end up spending money that we don't have on things that we don't need in order to impress people who really don't care. And it's a trap. It's a trap. So believe it or not, the Bible has so much to say about this. In fact, the Bible says more about financial issues, about issues of wealth and social responsibility and injustice issues more than any other topic, even far more than what it says about our own eternal destination. You see, we, you know, in evangelical America today just think it's all about me getting to heaven. It's about me living rightly. And that's what the word righteousness means. It's about living rightly. And, and so this has so much to do with it. So, so today, um, you know, I'm going to, I spoke about this in the past, and I think we need to keep revisiting this on a periodic basis because I know I need to hear it. I think we all need to be reminded of the priorities that we need to set in our life. So borrowing from things I've said in the past and what other people have said, I, I want to speak to you today um, about this so that we can be very clear what the scripture says so that you can be without excuse when it comes to finding peace financially, finding the ability to say enough, enough. John Maxwell has endorsed a book called The 33 Laws of Stewardship. I'm not going to go to 33 today, all right? So don't worry. Others have said the Ten Commandments. Um, I could really reduce it down to one, and we could just say it and then go home, but I've I, I got to take up a little bit of time here. Um, but it's simply, man, just earn more than you spend. There's one law, come on, it's so simple, earn more than you spend, spend less than you make, and you're going to be okay. But really, let's go a little deeper than that, if you don't mind. So I want to talk about seven keys today to be able to say enough. And the first key is this. I think this is foundational. Number one, remember who owns it all. Remember who owns it. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. Joan Orberg tells a story about a woman who goes, is at the airport, and she buys a little pack of, of cookies. And uh, she, she sits down, and she's waiting for her flight, and she hears this rumbling beside her, and this guy who is reaching in and eating these cookies that she bought. She gets a little mad. So she reaches down and grabs a cookie and eats one. And she hears again a little bit later. He reaches in and grabs one. And she reaches in and she's like getting really furious. And this guy's eating my cookies. And she reaches down and finally there's one left. And he reaches over and breaks it in half and gives her half. And she gets half. And she's like fuming that how dare this person eat my cookies. And she gets on the plane and then she opens her purse and realizes that the cookie she bought is in her packet, in her bag. She was actually eating the guy's cookies. <laughs> amazing, amazing when we think that it's ours, how attached we get to it. You know, we as Americans, and, and I think it's just human nature, 
have this idea that everything that we have, we've earned. It's ours. And so to be able to give something away, um, it's like giving a part of our flesh away to somebody. On average in America over the past year, individual giving as a percentage of disposable income in the United States, actually in the year 2011, was 1.9%, according to the Center of Philanthropy at Indiana University. So on average, on average. But did you know that people in North Dakota, where the average income is pretty modest, give 75% more of charity to people that live in the wealthiest community in San Francisco as terms of a percentage of their disposable income. People say, well, I give more. Yeah, but comparatively, comparatively, the more you have, more people tend to hold on to what they have. So let's just talk about that. What does God say about this? I think God warned the people way back at the beginning of how their attitude could change as, uh, uh, you know, when they become affluent. Remember God delivered the Israelites. We talk about this constantly because this is the story of the Old Testament. The people of God, the Israelites, were slaves. I mean, slaves working hard labor to build the, you know, the the palaces and uh, the pyramids or whatever for the pharaohs of Egypt. And, and they had nothing and God set them free. God caused them to be able to walk away and plunder Egypt. And you know the story of them going into the promised land. Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, God is preparing them for the time when they're going to have their own land. When they're going to be able to raise their own crops, when they're going to be able to have their own economy, when they're going to be able to own their own homes, and life is going to be different than their history up until that point. So they go from slaves to being free people, to being landowners, to having an economy of their own. And, and so God says to them in Deuteronomy 8.10, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord for your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Why is it that the more stuff we have, the less we feel our need for God? The more we have, the more easily it is to forget our need for God. And so he's telling them, and he says, he said, you fail to observe his commands and laws and decrees. He said, otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And he reminds them, remember, he led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of the hard rock and he gave you punch keys to eat in the wilderness. Manna to eat in the wilderness. I can't believe how many people told me this week they went and got punch keys. At, I was saying, did you remember what I preached? No, no, no. I just know that I wanted to get punch keys. Uh, that was too bad. But Oh, well. 
So remember that he gave you manna in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it may go well with you. And then he says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Funny, when we have nothing, we cry out to God and we believe God and we hope and pray. But the more we have security, the more we have in our bank account, the more we have all those things, the less we feel we need God. And we forget God and we become proud as if it's ourselves. God gave you the capacity to even produce the wealth that you have. Key number two, and uh, these, these aren't necessarily in any particular order, but... Embrace your work. Embrace your work. God created us to work. God created Adam and Eve to do what? To work the garden before the fall. Work is not a punishment for our sin. (laughs) Though it feels that way sometimes. Okay? Work is not a result of the fall. Work is a gift of God. He created us to make, produce, to tend the garden, to fill the earth, to multiply and do all of those things. And in Colossians, Paul writes, don't just do the minimum that you will, so that you'll get by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your, ma- for your real master, for God. Confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. <laughs> Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. I I believe that true Christ followers should be the best employees. Not the biggest complainers. You know, not the ones who try to get by with the very least. Does anybody here ever complain about work? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's time to be honest. Let's be real. Sure. You know, it's really funny uh, because it's easy to whine about our jobs. Step back for just a second. But what if you didn't have that job? Hmm. Let's put things into perspective. What if you, by just random chance, were born in another latitude and longitude, in another part of the world, where you didn't have the opportunities, the education, the, the health and, and, and welfare, or whatever it is that we have in our country. I've been to Haiti, where officially the unemployment rate is 40%, but it's far more than that. 80% of people live under the poverty line. 54% live in abject poverty. And, and on top of the physical des- devastation of the earthquake that happened there, There's just this crippling human spirit that happens when people aren't able to find meaningful work. Yeah, work is hard. That's why it's called work. It's not called play. I'm going to go to play today. Well, it's nice if you can get paid to play. There are a few that get that. Student pastors. But I'm not going to go there. (laughs) I'll pay for that. Hard work, I tell you what. It is, I don't want to do it. Uh, but there's, there's, you know, but, but, 
But if you didn't have it at all, you know, I was just in Cambodia recently. Cambodia, hey, their unemployment rate is only 1.9%. It's better than ours. But you know that 40% or a third, more than a third of their population earns less than a dollar 25 cents a day. So we can have nice clothes and pay cheap prices for them. So imagine you are working and you have a job, but you're not even able to make enough to have a sustainable income. You can't even live off of that. 37% of children in Cambodia under the age of five suffer from chronic malnutrition. We were in Kenya this summer. Unemployment and poverty is equal to that in Haiti. The per capita income there is $2 a day. Do you ever get down on your knees and just thank God for the job you have? Do you ever get down on Monday morning when it's, the alarm goes off and you say, thank God it's Monday? love it <laughs> we, we, we don't do that but that really should be the attitude that we have because what if you didn't have that job or what if you were in a place where you did work long hours and you only earned two dollars a day and you couldn't even pay for the food for your family with that one of the great contributions the Bible makes to the ancient world is the idea that all human labor is an honor and it carries great dignity. You've been called and gifted by God to do what you are doing and do it as unto the Lord. And it is sacred. Work is sacred as you do it unto the Lord. And you say, oh, I thought only ministry. No, you are a minister. If you are doing things that are helping other people and you find a way to get paid for it, God bless you. That's the way it's supposed to be. Key number three. Here's a biggie. Break free from debt. We all know that is true, correct? That, that, that's the key. Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrow, borrower is servant to the lender. And uh, I mean... Thank God that a lot of people, because of the economic crisis we've gone through over the past four or five years, have learned a little more about this. But I think that we still get slammed by debt. Bill Hybels tells a story of a guy who came up to him after church service when he talked about this. And the guy said to him, Pastor, he said, you know, I'm a little overboard on my credit card. And he had about a $7,500 debt on his credit card. And he said, I'm going to stop today and I'm going to find out the minimum monthly payment. And I'm going to start paying that off until it is gone. So let's, let's do a little bit of math today. Say you have $7,500 owed on a credit card and... and on average, you're going to pay 15 to about 18%. There are some credit cards that are charging 25%. There's even one that charges 49% interest. But let's say it's 18% interest. And you owe $7,500. Now, with an interest rate of that and a minimum payment of about $150 a month, I want to ask you, how long will it take to pay off a credit card debt of $7,500 if you pay the minimum each month of $150? at an 18% interest rate. I want you to talk to, talk to your neighbor and take a guess, take a guess, take a guess. How long do you think that'll take? And then the next question, the next, the next thing I want you to guess is how much do you think you will end up paying for that $7,500 debt over that time period? How much do you think you'll end up paying for that? Well, here's the answer. Paying $150 at 18% interest on a $7,500 debt at the minimum payment is going to take you 
about 30 years to pay it off. And you're going to end up paying $23,000 for that $7,500 debt. Folks, get out of debt. Get out of debt. Credit card debt especially. According to the Federal Reserve and some other statistics, the average credit card... I can't believe this. I find this baffling. They say that the average credit card debt per household... Okay, so that's like two people if they're earning and maybe college students or children. The average credit card debt per household, $15,799 per household of credit card debt in America. Credit card, not mortgage, not car payment, credit card debt. And the percent of disposable income that goes to service that debt in the average household is 14, 13.9% of your disposable income is going to pay off credit card debt. Did you really need to buy that? Did you really need to put that coffee on your credit card? Did you really need to put everything onto a credit card? You know, when we use plastic to pay for things, it's proven that we'll always spend more than we would if we were using cash to spend for things. Because you don't feel the pain until the bill comes. The median household debt in America is $75,600. I'm sure that includes car and housing and stuff like that. But the average household income in China, listen to this, converted to U.S. dollars, the average household income in China converted to U.S. dollars is $10,220. That's the average income for a household in China. The average household income in the United States is $84,300. Yet the Chinese save 25 to 50% of their income, and the average U.S. citizen saves maybe 3% of their income. Is it no wonder that we are debtors to China? Is it no wonder that we have to have China bail us out? Our government is just doing what we do. Why can we get mad at the government for being the very people that we are? We elect them. So, folks, debt's going to squeeze the freedom and peace out of you more than anything else. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. I mean, outside of whatever mortgage would be prudent and whatever business loans might be wise, the general wisdom of the Bible is that debt ought to come with a warning from the Surgeon General saying, this debt may be hazardous to your financial, emotional, and spiritual health. Deuteronomy 26, 24, 6 says, Do not take a pair of millstones, not even the upper one, as security for a debt, because that will be taking a person's livelihood as security. Now, I don't know if you've borrowed, you know, if you've loaned money and you've taken millstones as, as security for a debt. But really what that's saying is if a person makes their living off of, you know, the millstones that they're using to grind whatever they're grinding, and, and if, if you take their livelihood from them as security, then... You might as well just take their life because they can't ever pay that back. So let me just say, if you're in trouble right now financially, then I strongly urge you to make a decision. Today is the day that you say enough. I'm not going to continue to increase my debt load, and I'm going to seek help, and I'm going to find somebody that can help me to get on a plan and be able to change my life around. 
We've, we've had Financial Peace University, FPU classes here in the past, and hopefully in the future we'll continue to provide them. But uh, that's a great plan, a great way to help people, and a lot of people have gone through that, and their life has changed as a result of it. And that gets to really key number four, which is simply this. Have a plan and stick to it. Have a plan, but the key is stick to it. Paul, writing to the Corinthians uh, when he was talking about an upcoming uh, offering for uh, the the poor Christians in in Jerusalem, he was saying, um, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So it begins with a plan, and and a plan is simply a budget. Forty percent of Americans don't have a budget. In other words, they don't know how much money they have every month and how much they have to spend every month. Whatever is in their account that day is what they'll spend, not thinking of what's coming up. DaveRamsey.com, who who developed the FPU class, is a great way for you to find. There's some great financial help on that. I just want to throw that out as some advice to you. There's some good budgeting tools on that. And uh, if you need help, that might be a great place to start. But here's a plan that I think is sure to work, and this is one that that uh, that Teresa and I have adopted, and actually, it's simply the 10-10-80 plan. The 10-10-80 plan. The first 10% of whatever God gives my way, I give it to God's work. When Teresa and I were college students and newlyweds, living in a little mobile home and going to school full-time and working part-time for barely over minimum wage, I was working construction, getting paid minimum wage, uh, and... um, And we determined from the very beginning that we were going to do that. So we just started back then. When you're making nothing, 10% is nothing, so it's not so hard. (laughs) But as you get into that habit and you practice, we've done that our whole life. We've never deviated from that. And as God has blessed us and we've been able to increase and both of us working full time, we've continued to do that our whole life. It just comes off the top so you don't even realize it. You don't even think about that. That's going back to God's work. Then the next 10% of what God sends my way, I put into savings. I haven't done that from the beginning. I wish I had. But my father told me when he first started years ago working for Bell Telephone, he, he, uh, he had a manager and the manager said to him, and he said, Bob, now this is, I don't know what he was, he was going to church and I know he gave and I don't know what back then, but, but he said, Bob, pay yourself first. Pay yourself first. In other words, take 10% right now and put it away. My dad never made a lot of money. He just worked in middle management and, and yet he was able to be able to have enough to retire on at a very early age and had a very fulfilling life. But, but do that. 10% goes right to God's work. 10%, put it aside. So then it says in Proverbs 21:20, wise people's houses are full of the best foods and olive oil, but foods, but fools waste everything they have. Wise people will have enough. They won't use all that they get. They'll have extras. But fools will just gobble it all up. They'll gobble it all up. So 
So 10% to God, actually more, we, we, we do that now, but 10% to savings. And that leaves 80% to handle, to live within your means as God directs you. That doesn't mean the 80% is mine. It's all God's, but it's now with that 80%, that's what I use to develop my budget for my fixed expenses, for the, the things that I need to take care of, and then whatever is left over, I will use that to either give more, save more, or whatever. So 10 and 1080, that's a great plan. I recommend it highly to you. And then another key, and we got two more, three more here real quickly. Number five, change how you keep score. What do I mean by that? How often do you walk up to somebody and you just say, hey, how much money do you make? Well, why don't you do that right now? Go talk to the person next to you. Just, okay, no, we don't do that. We don't do that. Why don't we do that? We tell people all kinds of stuff about ourselves. I want to tell you about my kids. I want to tell you about my job. I want to tell you about my, my, you know. But we don't talk about money. We don't talk about salaries. Why? Because it's personal. Why is it so personal? It's personal because in our culture, that's how we value people. That's what we use to measure a person's worth. And so if I think that you make more money than me, I might be envious of you. If you think I make less money than you, you may look down upon me. And that's just awkward. So we don't talk about those things. James says the church is to be an alternative culture where we are all equal. So we need to find another way to keep score and, and, and not money. James 2.1 uh, 2, says, Dear brothers and sisters, never think that some people are more important than others. And then he goes on, he says, Suppose somebody comes into your church meeting and they're wearing nice clothes and they have a nice jewelry and at the same time a poor person comes in and they're wearing dirty old clothes and you show special attention to the one wearing the nice clothes and you say, Here's some nice seats, sit here. He said, but to the poor person, you say, you know, you can sit in the back, stand over there. Um, What are you doing? He says, you're making some people more important than others. And with evil thoughts, you're deciding that one person is better. He says, listen, dear brothers and sisters, God chose the poor in the world to be rich with faith and to receive the kingdom God promised to those who love him. In our, in our world, the rich are favored. In God's kingdom, God loves everybody, but I think God does tend to even the score. And he values those who suffer and those who don't have. And he's very concerned about that person. So, let's move on. Key six, let's just say, learn to say, enough, enough, I have enough. I'm good, I'm good. Yeah, I could have a bigger house, but I'm good. Yeah, I could drive a newer car, but I'm good. I, yeah, I could, I could do this, but I'm good. I, I have enough. There's a proverb that says, The leech has two daughters, and they are called give and give. It's that chronic desire for more that's going to suck the joy and gratitude right out of you. And so the Bible uses this image of blood-sucking leeches to describe the destructive compulsion for an ever-increasing lifestyle. I think we have a picture of that. That's what it's like. That's that, that more, more, more. This is like leeches. This gimme, gimme lifestyle is never satisfied and it'll suck the life out of you. 
So how is it that when you're making like uh, maybe $30,000 a year and you say, man, if I could just make $40,000, I'll have enough. But then when you make $40,000, you don't have enough. So, okay, well, I know if I could just get a good raise, then I'll be comfortable. You get the raise, and before you know it, you've spent it. And then, oh, well, okay, so make it 50 grand. Then I know that I can live within that. And then, oh, we could buy a bigger house now. Oh, I could do that. And, and people think that they are made to have this ever-increasing lifestyle, and it's just a trap. It's a trap. Most people never ask what would be enough. And so... I would challenge you to declare today, I have enough. My lifestyle is good enough. And I'm not going to try to keep up with the Joneses anymore. In fact, I'm going to say, Joneses, you win. Game over. I'm done. All right? You, congratulations. Go to the Joneses and say, congratulations, you win. I'm going to be happy with wherever I am right now. You keep going where you're going. I'm going to be content with, with what I have. If God brings me more, if God raises my income, then I'm going to be able to have extra to save, to give, to invest it in God's kingdom. And I just believe that, that Christ followers need to be people that learn how to say enough. And then one last thing. Prepare for your final audit. Luke 12, Jesus says, When somebody has given, been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. And I think as we talk about the season of Lent, this is where, where I started. Because it's the time of year where we say, Okay, life from ashes we came to ashes will return. Believe the good news. So what, what does that mean? It means someday I'm going to have to give an account of what I've done with what God gave me. How, how, did I, how did I live my life? How did I use whatever God put in my lap to be used? Did I waste it? Did I invest it? Did I use it for God? At, at the end, am I going to leave and have a whole lot of stuff that's just going to have to be thrown out because people don't want those things or, you know, give it away? Well, fine. But I, I've been with a lot of people who are on their deathbeds, and I've never yet heard anybody say, you know, I wish I would have made more money. No. They don't say that when they're dying. No. Nope. No, they, they, they want to know, has my life counted for something good? And, 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 and coming to that near-death experience makes everything really clear. It's about, you know, loving God, loving people the way Jesus wants me to love them. It's about knowing that God is my forgiver, that God is my ultimate healer, that God is my leader. And it's not about all that stuff, you know. I mean, who, who on their deathbed wants to worry about, oh, no, what's going to happen with all my stuff? And I, I guarantee you there are people who worry about that because they know their kids are just going to fight over it after they're gone. And what good is that? What good is that? So it's loving the people around me and using whatever comes into my life to be able to bless God and bless others. You don't have to wait till you're on your deathbed to figure that all out. 
So we could be talking about more stuff here. We, I think other keys, we could talk about how to teach your children. We could talk about, you know, how to find some wise counsel. We need to talk about, you know, looking around at the needs of others. And there's a lot more we could talk about that. And perhaps even if you're on, uh, you know, social cast, I mean, on our social networking, on our RCC um, Facebook, we can have a little conversation this week. And we'll put some stuff up and get some feedback about that. So we could go on and on. But right now, remember who owns it. Take a look at your work and be thankful for it. Embrace it and work hard and do well. And do your best to break free from the bondage of debt. Have a budget. Have a plan and stick to it. Change how you keep score, all right? And learn to say enough and prepare for your final audit. Would you, would you bow your heads with me, please? The Bible says, don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but hope in God, who is more than enough. Let's pray. Lord, you have blessed us with so much. We are fortunate to live in, in, in a country, in an environment where we have a lot more opportunities to have a, a, a sustainable lifestyle, a healthy lifestyle, a comfortable lifestyle than so many more people around the world. And, and yet we complain and we think that we'll be happier if we just have more. Forgive us for not being thankful, for not learning to say enough, for getting ourselves underwater so deeply. Help us, God, to be wise stewards of what you've given us. Show, show me, Lord, how I can best use what you've given to me for your glory and for your honor. And so, God, I just pray for everyone in, in this room and everyone who's hearing me today up at the mills or on a podcast that today might be a day where they make some good decisions, some healthy choices, and stick to that. And, and right now, before we leave this place, I, I want you just to speak to our hearts. And I want everybody here to say, okay, here's one thing that I need to take away from this. One thing I'm going to do differently. God, help us to be, to be those people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.